Well, you may have heard the phrase before, mind your P's and Q's. You ever hear that? It means to mind your manners, mind your language. If you're telling that to your kids, you know, be on your best behavior as you have company or whatever the case may be. Well, today, as we continue our Love Life series from the book of Ephesians, instead of talking about minding our P's and Q's, we're going to similarly, though, talk about B's and do's. Specifically, what is a man to be, what is a husband to be and to do? And I believe in our culture today, this is more needed than ever. I planned on starting today's message in a different way, but last night I was reading a last chapter of a book that my wife recommended to me by Martin Smith. Some of you know him if you're into the worship music scene. He was one of the originators, really, of that, of that movement and a different kind of, of love-praise language to God. He was in the band called Delirious, but listen to what he says as he speaks about a transition going on in his own life in his early 40s. He says, I'm not even sure that I know what it takes to be a man in 2011. I'm wondering if there's some men here today who wonder that. Some young men, teenagers, even older men. He goes on to say, the pressure to be the perfect dad, husband, the head of the household and domestic God, I love that phrase, is overwhelming. Then you add the career, trying to keep your physique up and the friendships as well as the roles in the church. And then he talks about extremes. He says, if we go one way, we can appear to be strong or overly strong or even chauvinistic. But then if we go the other direction and we fall into the trap that we can fall into the trap of acting too weak or lacking in leadership. So what is a man to be or to do, especially a husband? What is he to be or to do? There's a broad spectrum of thoughts represented in our culture today. And just to give you an example or maybe a glimpse of how broad it is. Let's consider some images. Some of you remember watching Leave it to Beaver. How many remember watching that? Okay, Ward Cleaver. You know, he's got his act together. There's not a hair out of place ever. And he's always dressed in a suit usually or at least some kind of sweater jacket or something. He never says the wrong thing at the wrong time. He's always the disciplinarian. And he's got such sage wisdom. His kids always respond to him. And his wife never speaks a cross word. She's always looking put together as well. And for those of you that don't resonate with that kind of image, maybe you would resonate with this guy. Yeah, I see Wayne, the cowboy guy, John Wayne. You know, he's, he's the, the strong, silent type that is always fighting for the right. So you have maybe some of these earlier images in our minds of what a man is to be and to do. And then, think about this. You get examples like this. Homer Simpson. I mean, a person minding his P's and Q's, right? Not. I mean, he's the most foul, vulgar person you could imagine. The terrible example for his kids. And yet, somehow, distortingly, Many see, that's what a man is. There is a need for understanding the truth about.
about what a man is and should be and should do. And I want to hold before you two questions. Well, first of all, let me back up. I just spoke to give you another example of how broad I think is this question of manhood is. You know, it starts off as a, a young child wondering what it's like and and we might not have the greatest example of what that looks like, having grown up. It may be a difficult home. And then we have all these pressures of what our culture says of what a man is to be and to do. But it's not just young people, it's also older people. I spoke with a, a, a man after a wedding Friday night, a 66-year-old Christian man who had been involved facilitating discipling business leaders presidents, CEOs of companies for years, and in some cases, rub shoulders with such people across the nation. And you know what he told me? He said, it's only been the last three to five years I've really understood what a godly man looks like, what it means to live the victorious Christian life. And then he said, and I'm not the only one. I thought, oh, what a tragedy to have just figured it out in your 60s. When God tells us in his word what it looks like. So two questions I want to hold for you guys, especially in our midst today. Whether you're married or not, these are things to consider for future life. If you're beyond the time of marriage, maybe your wife has passed away. These are things that you can use to pass along to other generations who need your mentoring. But here is the question. Who are you seeking to please? Who are you seeking to please? We say in that song, there is freedom in Christ. If we're not experiencing freedom, it's because we're living under the pressures and expectations of what the world defines manhood to be. Or my mother-in-law or father-in-law or my neighbors or whatever. You can be free from that by simply looking to God's word and doing your best with his help. It's impossible without him to please him. So that releases a lot of the pressure right there. And then the other question is where or to whom are you looking for help? What models are you looking to What instruction are you looking to? Well, if you're not there already, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 5. God gives us the truth, the answers to what a man is to be and to do. It's page 677 if you're following along in your pew Bible. In chapter 5, to start with, first of all, just to go back and do a little review of Ephesians, it says, therefore, be imitators of God as dear children. And then walk in love as Christ also has loved us. You want a definition of what a man is to be and to do? It is to be an imitator of God, of Christ Jesus, to walk in love. We've also been looking at the general characteristic, to walk in light. Not in darkness, not in foolishness, not in impure living and thinking. As he goes on to describe in chapter 5, but walk in light. So walk in love, walk in light. And then he talks about walking in wisdom. And part of that is being controlled by the Spirit of God instead of our own 
sinful, fleshly impulses. So that's the backdrop. And then he starts talking about marriage. And let's just read again, even though we read some of this last week, verse 25 through 29. And we're addressing the husbands first today and then the ladies next week on Mother's Day. Verse 25, husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. That he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word. That he might present to her, to her, to himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. So husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church. Okay, guys, before we continue, I just want to ask you in your own heart. Just to say this to the Lord, something like this, Lord, just help me to become a more godly man. If you're married, help me to become a better husband. If you're not married yet, Lord, help me to understand the things I need. When that time comes, need to understand to be and to do. And there's great freedom in that as well. We're, and I want to encourage you with something. You're, you're going to mess up. There's just no getting around it. And that's where the grace of Jesus Christ comes into play. That's why we celebrate communion later is because we need an advocate to confess our mess ups, our sins to. So that we can have that forgiveness and that fresh, clean slate to start over again. So let's consider, first of all, the ultimate prescription. We talked about walking in light, love, and wisdom. But what is a man or husband to be? First of all, from this passage, we see a man or husband must recognize and embrace his role to lead. Now, where do we get that? We, I didn't see anything about leadership there. Well, look back just a couple verses to verse 23, where it says, For the husband is what? The head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church. And so we have this whole picture from this passage that marriage is a fleshly form of the church where Jesus is the head. He is the leader of which the church should be following. And in the picture of marriage. The husband is to be the leader, the head of the home. That is who he is to be. Now, please understand some things. This doesn't mean that he calls all the shots, that he is superior to his wife. To use modern day vernacular, God is an equal opportunity employer. He employs a husband and a wife in a marriage relationship. And just like in the workplace, though there's no discrimination, or at least there's not supposed to be, there's still managers, there's presidents, there's supervisors. Why? Because there's a need for leadership. There's a need for clear distinction of roles. Now think about it. 
Anything that you can think of in terms of creatures that have two heads, what comes to mind? Maybe circus sideshow creatures, right? They belong in the circus. It doesn't make sense. You can't have two heads in one home. It just doesn't work very well. But aside from the practicalities of it, by God's design, even before sin entered the world, Adam was set up to be the leader or the head of Eve. So that is what a husband is to be. That is what a man is to be if he's married. Now let's talk about what is a man or husband to do. A man or husband must recognize and embrace his responsibility to love. Now, to love means that even though he is the head, going back to 1 Peter 3, 7, God says, live with your wives in an understanding way as an equal heir of Jesus Christ. That doesn't say anything about superiority, does it? And then I want to bring your attention again to verse 21 that leads us into this whole idea of the marriage relationship. Look what it says again, submitting to one another in the fear of God. So there's a giving and there's a taking on both sides. And yet when it comes down to it, God gives the responsibility of the leadership to the man in the home. As one author describes it, in terms of what it means to have the responsibility of loving his wife. It means, and I'm adding some of my own thoughts to the concept. It means this. He has a God to worship, a will to obey, a work to do, and a woman to love. I want to say that again because I think this is this is. In essence, what we should be as men, a God to worship, a will to obey. That's God's will, a work to do and a woman to love. How do we do that? Did you notice how many times love appeared in this short passage? Let's look at it again. Circle it if you want or underline it each time it appears. Husbands, verse 25, love your wives. Just as also Christ loved the church. And then go down to verse 28. So husbands ought to, what? Love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. There's no misunderstanding here. This is our responsibility as men to love our wives. What's the purpose? Let's talk about that next. The purpose, look at verse 26 and 27. In the New King James, it starts off that. Your translation might say so that or something to that effect, signifying a purpose. The purpose is to sanctify or cleanse his wife, to make her more holy, to present her to Christ as a glorious or radiant person. So being and doing, as God prescribes, ultimately does two things. It brings goodness and godliness for her. But guess what? 
It also brings goodness and godliness for him. Whereas you love your wife as you would love yourself, it comes back. Now, that's not the reason necessarily we do it. But oftentimes that can be the effect. And when a husband leads and loves like Christ, look what happens to her. Again, that he might sanctify her, it says. That means to be set apart, to made to be feel to feel special holy now last week we talked a little bit about god definitely wants happiness in marriage but how does that happen the more holy we become the more happy we become because that's who we're designed to be as holy people for god's own possession for his purposes it says to present Using the analogy here of Christ and his bride, the husband is to present his bride glorious or radiant. That means to be highly esteemed, honored, or fully developed. Now I want to go back to our purpose statement as a church. The purpose of Monument Bible Church is to what? Number one, glorify God. How do we do that? By M&M. Remember that? Maturing And multiplying. See, it's husbands' jobs to help mature their wives. And help them to reach the point of maturity where they're multiplying themselves in the lives of others. And we're going to talk more about that in a few minutes. But when a husband leads and loves, he also gets back. There's a song that we were taught... I was a part of a church in Kansas City area where we had a partnership with the inner city black church and we shared worship services with them. And one of the black worship leaders came up one Sunday and talked a song about giving. And he started shaking and dancing and give and it will come back to you. Press down, shaking together and running over. And, you know, you could just imagine it a lot better moves than I got. That's for sure. But I think that's the concept of this verse. Husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. Why? Because if you love your wife in the way that God designs, it'll come back. Now let's talk about a pathway. What does this look like or how do we do it? So I should have mentioned this earlier. So, so a couple things, guys. In addition to the prayer I ask you to pray, I want you to do something else. As we go through these next principles, take your elbows like this and cover your ribs. Okay, because last week I saw some elbow jabbing going on already. and We were just doing an overview. Okay, so cover your ribs, but still remain teachable. And then, uh, ladies, I want to ask you to do something. Because, you know, maybe your husband deserves one of these, Okay. I understand that. I deserve that sometimes too. And I bet some of you are praying like crazy right now. It's like, oh, Holy Spirit, get him, would you? Just help him to see these things. So instead of the get him prayer, I want to encourage you to say, Lord, please help my husband, my man, be open to what you have to say. But even more importantly than that, let me be open to how I can help him. It was very interesting this morning after the first service, 
had several people come up to me and say, oh, that's a great message. Not a single one of them was a man. <laughs> there was all the ladies. Oh, that was a great message, Pastor Dan. But it was great. The things that they shared with me, they were learning too. And that's the point. So the pathway, first of all, we must love our wives sacrificially. Let me go back because I missed a point. Because there's a, some questions that Chip Ingram says or asks that should help us to discern whether we're doing our jobs. If you're married and leading in your home, here's some questions. He says, who initiates spiritual growth in your home? Who plans the budget or at least knows where the money is going and feels and bears the weight of the responsibility of that? Who initiates or discusses plans about the future? Careers, where the kids go to school, date nights, family vacations, involvement in church and civic things. Who disciplines the kids when everyone is home? When you're all together going somewhere, and I like this one, who drives? (laughs) Now those might not be all the indicators of whether you're leading or not, but get us going in the right direction perhaps. And I want to give you three S's from this passage. How to love your wives. One is sacrificially. It says here, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Christ loved us sacrificially. I mentioned last week that many of you would probably say, I would be willing to die for my wife. And I have no doubt that that's probably true. And then I asked, how many of you, though, would be willing to live for your wife? Sacrificially. What does that mean? Sacrifice implies that there's a cost involved. And that sometimes that sacrifice might not necessarily be something you feel like doing. Giving the example of Christ. Why was he in the Garden of Gethsemane begging God to take that cup from him? Speaking of the fact that he knew he was going to the cross To die for the sins of the world. Why was he asking God to remove that cup from him? He didn't feel like doing it in his flesh. He didn't want to. And yet what did he say? Not my will, Lord, but your will be done. That's an unconditional, sacrificial kind of love. Now under this, I want to give you three P's of ideas of how you can do that. Three P words. One is sacrificially love your wife. Your girlfriend, start practicing from with your perspectives. Well, what do you mean? Well, what I mean by that is what you think might be a good place to eat might not what she thinks is a good place to eat. What you think is the great hot date night might not be what she thinks is the great date night. What you think is important might not always match what she thinks is important. Remember, one of the definitions we talked about unconditional sacrificial love is that it does what is best for the other person, not for self. So your perspectives may need to match hers and not yours. And then also in your passions. Isn't it true, guys? If you're still in this stage, you can, you can know exactly what I'm talking about. 
that when you are in the heights of the feelings of love, you'll be willing to set aside anything, any time to spend time with her, right? And to spend money on her and other things. I remember the, the things I used to do, staying up till midnight, one, emailing, now it's texting or Facebooking or talking on the phone, spending hundreds of dollars long distance with my wife being in Bermuda and me living in Kansas City when we were engaged that whole year. That was an expensive phone bill. I didn't mind because I loved her, right? But what often happens? You get married. You've conquered your trophy. And then your passions focus on something else. You spend long days at the office, on the farm, wherever you work. That becomes an intentional focus. That occupies a lot of your time and energy. And maybe even on your days off, you go golfing, you go hunting, you go fishing. You plant some shrubs in the yard, whatever your passions are. Now, please understand, those things are great. Matter of fact, the wisdom of Solomon says in Ecclesiastes, after all he had in life, one of the things he says was this, the best things in life are a man's work. It's a gift from God. That's the way we're wired. And it's also to enjoy the fruits of your labor, he says. That's part of the pleasure pastimes of golf and things like that. There's nothing wrong with that. But when your work and your pastimes become mistresses that replace her feeling as if she's number one in your life, that's when you lose, your family loses, she loses, everyone loses. Solomon also said, enjoy your work fruits of your labor, and the wife of your youth. It's the greatest things in life. And you know what? It doesn't take very much sometimes to make her feel like she's number one. It could be a call in the middle of the day with no strings attached. Just saying, hey, I'm just calling because I'm thinking of you and I love you. A couple of weeks ago, one of those mornings when it was snowing, I had a really full week and I'm driving and I notice it's pretty slick. The Holy Spirit nudges my heart and says, Dan, why don't you go back and bring the kids to school so your wife doesn't have to go out and drive on these roads. And I'm thinking, oh, I can't do that. I've got, got this and this and that and the other thing to do. And so I finally said, okay, Lord. So I call her and I said, I'm coming back. I'm going to get the kids. You know what it cost me? Maybe 20 minutes, 25 minutes at the most. Then later on during the day, I get some text from my wife. that says, thank you, my knight in shining armor. And I thought, you know, I almost really missed a great opportunity to nourish and cherish my wife. It's one of the instructions in this passage. Nourish and cherish. Feed. What what does those things mean? It means to make her feel devoted to, provided for, 
made to feel important and honored. Now, I don't always do that well. That morning, I wrestled and I said, okay, Lord, and I, I had a great opportunity and I'm so glad I did. But the other thing I want to say here, ladies, first of all, some of you I know are, are widowed ladies. And I know there's some hurt talking about this, but I just want you to look at it from this perspective. Thank God for the things that your husband gave you so many times in your life. And praise God for that. And look forward to that reunion with him one day. The other thing I have to mention here is this. Ladies, when your man goes out of his way, even in the slightest thing, to try to communicate love to you, please acknowledge it in some way with a word, with a hug, with a note, or whatever is most meaningful to him. I've seen it over and over again. Couples that I'm talking to, the husband screaming her love language, doing all he can to communicate to her how much he really adores her, and there's nothing coming back. What's that going to do to a man after a while? They're going to just stop. They're going to give up sooner or later. More often than not. Now, in in the ladies' defense here, some of those couples where the husband speaking that love language loudly hasn't been doing so for years. And they want things to change overnight. And that just doesn't happen. Sometimes when you dig a big hole where you've lost a lot of trust, where you've lost a lot of respect, you have to make a lot of deposits to come up to even ground again. And that brings us to the next P. Sacrificially, you must persevere in speaking your wife's love language. If you've never read the book, Jake told me about it years ago. He still is talking about it. I'm still talking about the five love languages. You need to understand what communicates love to your wife. And then speak that language often. You can't give up. Sometimes they might not always respond like you want. And this is true in terms of those of you who are fathers. If you're trying to lead your family spiritually, you don't always get... Oh, Dad, thank you for teaching us the Bible. Thank you for praying with us. You don't get that very often. Sometimes all you get is laughs and bodily functions. And you kind of wonder sometimes why. But you know what? Every once in a while there's glimmers where you just see and hear the things that are soaking in. And it just gives you great encouragement. It's like, God, you are using this. I'm not going to give up. I'm going to persevere in leading my home well. One of the reasons I started off with the question when we started this message, who are you trying to please? That's an important question to answer. Because even if... Your love statements are not being reciprocated. If God is your number one, 
you can persevere. You will please Him and He will fill, fill the voids of your heart. The converse is true when we get to the ladies next week. As to the Lord, it says, wives submit to your husbands. That's not always easy. If you do it for the Lord, it helps. And there's always reward for that. Aren't you glad Jesus didn't give up expressing his love for us? Even when he was laughed at, even when he was spit upon, when he was scorned, when he was beaten, when he was nailed to the cross, that he didn't give up? Where would we be without his love? So uh, sacrificially, we must love our wives. And then here's the second S word, sanctifyingly. I know that's not a word, but it'll help you to remember, I hope. What does that entail? Well, what does sanctified mean? As a reminder, it means to be set apart, to be holy. So ask yourself the question, how have you become set apart more holy? Well, there's indication, at least in one of those things in this passage, Verse 26 again, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of the water by what? The word. The word of God is the way we become sanctified. Prayer, fellowship with other believers, being in small groups, being in groups like this. We've talked about before understanding your gifts and passions and then yielding those to God to serve him. All those things contribute to us becoming more sanctified. So once you identify those things, then you ask yourself, how am I doing at helping her with these things? How are you sharing the word with her? Now, it doesn't have to be, again, what other people think or how they define it should be done. For example, when we were going through through premarital counseling, my wife and I were listening to the professor that was doing that with us describe him getting up at five in the morning having devotions with his wife before he had his own quiet time. And so I'm thinking, man, that's what I need to do to you know, be, help my wife to grow in the word. But no, that's not it. What works for you, for us? We can now, in this season of life, we enjoy spending time in the word, sometimes in the same room, but we're not talking to each other. We're learning and we're hearing from God, and then we share with each other what God's been teaching us. It's been an awesome experience. The book I was telling you I was reading last night was a book my wife had read, and she was sharing with me what she was learning. And she said, you've got to read this last chapter, and it was a tremendous blessing. Encouraging and helping her to be involved in church. On Sunday mornings, that might be uh, entail getting the kids ready. I just appreciate my wife so much. For years, she has had to get the kids ready on her own. On Sunday mornings, by nature of what God's called me to do. A great sacrifice. But if you don't have to be here at a certain time, that's a great way you can serve and love your wife. Help get the kids ready so that everyone can be here to worship together. Resist the temptation to be a bedside Baptist. You and your family need to be here worshiping together. What about gifts? Do you know your wife's gifts? Are you trying to help fan those into flame? I have to give you an example and how this oftentimes comes back again. For two, three years now, my wife has 
been reading the uh, Voice of the Martyr magazine. And we've prayed together as a family for different nations and people specifically. And it's been a great experience for us all as a family. Now we give to our church a tithe and then extra for the campaign. And we ask the Lord above and beyond that when we are able, who are we to help? And there's been times the Lord has prompted my heart to give extra funds to a person, to a ministry. My wife has always been supportive of that. And she would bring ideas to me every once in a while and found a little more reluctance. And finally, she asked or told me very graciously, you know, sometimes I experience a prompt from the Lord. I've always been supportive of you, but I don't feel like you're so supportive of me sometimes. I said, you're exactly right. And so for the last couple of years, maybe even three years at Christmas time, part of our prayer and fasting, we've taken one of the projects, the Voice of the Martyrs. This last year, it was Nigeria helping kids with a pack of gifts and things and also pastors with much needed materials to help them to grow spiritually and to pass on what they're learning to their people. So we're really excited about this. And so we looked around the house and tried to figure out how can we sell some things on eBay to make some money. We found an old camcorder that we don't use anymore. So we put that online. And I remember asking Chris one Monday morning, hey, would you pray about this? So we prayed about it together. and It was so fun. You know, if you've ever done eBay stuff, when the auction is going at the very last couple minutes, all of a sudden there's a bunch of bids. That thing went for, I think, $160. It was, it was amazing. Way more than I ever expected. How fun it was to give that to one of my wife's projects. It was the greatest project I think we've ever done. It was a blessing to our family. And not to mention, I think God has used her prayers for the world and the voice of the martyrs to develop her heart for the world and get her to the place of receiving this new call that God has placed on our lives before I even surrendered. She's waiting for me. Like, when are you going to listen to the Lord and obey? What a blessing. I hope you're beginning to see that loving your wife is, is not just providing food and a shelter. That's definitely part of it, not all of it. One more S word and then we'll wrap up. Sensitively, sensitively we are to love our wives with words took me a long time to discover my wife really values, I believe, words of affirmation. We say, I love you to each other every single day. Jessica, who's eight years old, said this, you really shouldn't say I love you unless you mean it, but if you mean it, you should say it a lot. People forget. Isn't that true? So guys, if you haven't said I love you to your wife, if you've adopted the philosophy, I'll tell her if things change. Don't follow that. Take her hands in your face when you get home. You say, I love you. I wouldn't be surprised if she wept before you. If she hasn't heard it for a while. With your words. And then also share your french fries. And other favorite foods. 
It happened again last night on the way back from the barbecue. We had to show our house, so we had to scoot out. So I grabbed some dessert on the way, just enough for me. And on the way, she says, hey, can I have one of those, one of my favorite desserts? And I know it's because she wants to share her life with me and all the experiences, but I just couldn't help but to feel like it was a test. If I'd really sacrifice and give her that piece of chocolate. And also, not only with her words, but in the physical arena, and this might not be what you're thinking, with your ears, listen, understand. You don't have to solve every problem. Sometimes she just wants you to understand. Sometimes she just wants your arms to envelop her and to comfort her. And again, if one of your love languages is physical, If you love your wife in this way, it's going to increase your chances, guys, in that realm, too. That's not why you do it again. But it reminds me of a story of a seasoned couple married 50 years, lying in bed one night. And the wife turns to her husband and says, you know, you used to reach out and grab my hand. Every night before we went to bed, so he reached out and grabbed his hand. He said, you used to snuggle up against me. And so kind of scooches over, snuggles up against her. And then with a little jest in her voice, she says, you used to nibble on my ear. And all of a sudden, he throws back the covers. He stands up and starts walking. And she's a little hurt. And she's like, what What I do? What are you doing? I'm going to get my teeth, he said. <laughs> I hope I can be that guy. Even if I have to get my dentures. So walking the talk, how can we apply this? Develop a manifesto of leading, and it should be a G on the end, and loving. If you'd be interested, I'd love to send you mine. Not that you would copy it, but if you want some ideas, uh, it's basically just from Scripture. I read that often. And i got to tell you, I'm glad I'm not sitting in the pew this morning, because I probably would have gotten a couple jabs. There's times I don't always do so well, and I need to confess that to God and start again. Develop intentional goals for loving as you lead. Specific ways, date nights, coffee, times away, whatever speaks love to her. And then for all of us, even if you're not married, model, teach, and train Others, what a man and a husband is to be and to do. We need it today. I'm going to ask the guys to come forward as we prepare to worship the Lord, as we take communion together. I'm glad that today is Communion Sunday because in the text we read, it describes what sacrificial love really looks like. The bread symbolizes the body of Jesus that was delivered for us and nailed to the cross. The cup symbolizes his blood that was equally shed for both men and women. Come on forward, guys. So I want to encourage you as we, we give thanks for the bread and the cup to just search your hearts. One of the purposes for communion is to confess those things that God might bring to your attention where you're not lining up all that well. 
receive the promises, forgiveness. Commit to him how you're going to repent to live differently this week. Another is to look forward to Christ's return. Well, we would do this together, and that motivates our obedience. That motivates our worship. And we proclaim him as we do this together. So if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, we invite you to participate. If you don't know him, right now where you're sitting, you can come to know him in a personal way, beyond religion, into a personal relationship by simply believing in what he did on the cross for you. That he died to pay the penalty of your sin, was buried, and rose again from the dead. And if you'll tell God that you believe that, instantaneously he will come into your heart. Make you a new person and you could celebrate this together for the first time in a very meaningful way. Let's give thanks for the cup.